0: Fans, It's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher Ryan Abraham.
1: Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome back to another edition of the Peristyle Podcast, brought to you by uscfootball.com. This is episode number 24 of the podcast. If you have any questions for us, you can always drop us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com, or go on uscfootball.com and post on the message board. We get questions every week and try to answer them. In our first segment, it's our special guest, as always, Coach Harvey Hyde. How are you doing today, Coach?
2: Well, Ryan, I'm doing great, buddy. I appreciate you uh, checking in with me, and uh, I'm looking forward to uh, discussing USC Trojan football.
1: Yeah, we got a great show for you today. The, of course, Car- Coach Harvey Hyde in the first segment. Uh, in the second segment, we're going to talk to uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Wiecki, and then in the final segment, we're going to preview the Arizona Wildcats, and we talked to the publisher of the Arizona Rivals site, so we'll get some information on the U of A. But first, just want to thank our sponsor for the first segment of the podcast. As always, it's Southern California Tickets, sctickets.com, 1 800 888 7287 is their number, and sctickets.com is the website. Of course, football season is coming up, so if you need tickets for any of those games, all of the Trojan games are now sold out, all the home games. If you need tickets for USC home games, of course, the place you want to go is to Southern California Tickets, Coach.
2: You're exactly right. That's where I go. Yes.
1: Yeah, so if you need tickets, just go there. Uh, and Coach, it was nice enough I got to see you in person last week instead of us talking over the phone. We were uh, down there at Pac-10 Media Day, and then I went on to your radio show over at uh, the Burger Continental in uh, Pasadena, lovely Pasadena, California, and uh, we got to see what was going on at Pac-10 Media Day. You know, you've been around these for a long time, a lot longer than I have. I'm not not saying you're old or anything, Coach. You've been around there. What was your overall thoughts of uh, Pac-10 Media Day?
2: Well, you know, uh, I, I like the social part of it too, as well as uh, listening to the coaches uh, give their opinion on the teams and so on. You're able to see everybody, and everybody seems to be in a friendly mood, and everybody's looking forward to the coming of the college football season and listening to the coaches and doing socializing and the whole thing. I mean, everybody's friendly. Everybody's friends. And uh, I think the thing that separates the uh, Pac-10 media day, as far as for the Southern California schools, I think there's more media there that wants to hear, uh, of course, Pete Carroll talk, and again, highlight him as the last co-speaker of the, of the day, and Rick Neuheisel. Uh, I think a lot of the other schools maybe have three or four beat writers or uh, not as many people following them in the Los Angeles as the Los Angeles media follows USC and UCLA. So I think it's great, especially if you're a Trojan fan, because all the other coaches walk down the side when they enter to speak at media day, but Pete Carroll and and uh, Cushing, they, they go right down the middle. And as you said it on my show, Coach Carroll is kissing babies and Cushing's <laughs> learning how to kiss babies and They wave to everybody and get up there on the stage, and everybody else goes 15 minutes, but Pete Carroll and Cushing, they go 20, 25 minutes. And and that's because there's more questions and a lot of interest in USC Trojan football.
1: Yeah, I agree with you, Coach. It was funny to see, for those who don't know how it's set up, it was kind of split up in half, and there was a center walkway, but there's all kinds of cameras. You know, we had our video camera there set up there. So a lot of people don't walk through the middle; they kind of come up the side, and the coaches almost kind of sneak in, you know, up that left side, and they kind of go over to the podium. It, it was funny, just like you said, Pete Carroll. He didn't want to have any of that. He went right down the middle of the aisle, shaking hands along the way, saying hi to the media. He, along with Brian Cushing, who he brought, who is the the USC senior linebacker, and uh, you know, they get up to the podium. You know, it, it was really a, you could tell that he's. If he wanted to be a politician, Coach, I think he could do a pretty good job of that, too.
2: I think he could, and you know, I don't really think he planned that, uh, Ryan. I want you to know the truth. I don't think he really planned that. I just think that's just the way he does things. I think he just said, you know, it's better to walk right down the middle here where we can get there quicker. I don't have to ask anybody to get out of the way, and of course, Brian just follows him, and uh, it was just just a real entrance. Uh, It was like the grand finale. You've been here now, listening to all of the opening act. Now it's time to hear, you know. Now it's here to listen to the real act, and uh, it was it was impressive and it was fun, and I think he was in a real great mood, and everybody uh, was uh, looking forward to, you know, hearing what he had to say about this coming year. And obviously, he says the same thing every year, that. This season is a season I've been looking forward to probably as much as any season I've ever looked forward to. I can't wait to get started.
1: Yeah, he, uh, he seemed pretty excited. I think he was genuinely excited. But, yeah, you do hear that same sort of uh, speech from him kind of every year. But I, I think it's exciting just because of this, this class of 2005, these seniors. It was a very defensive-laden class, and we kind of talked about this on previous podcasts, and I did a story uh, on it you know last week or a, I think it was maybe yeah probably a week or so ago about this class of 2005 12 defensive players they signed out of the 19 guys and eight of them are, are listed on the first team right now uh, so there's a really good class uh, and I think he likes these seniors that have kind of come a long way and you know there was people like uh, Keith Rivers or uh, Lawrence Jackson Cedric Ellis that kind of like people look to for leadership I think Carol really is genuinely excited to see some of the guys like Fili Moala and Brian Cushing and Ray Maluga step up and be those leaders for the defense this year.
2: No, I think they will be, too, because this is their year. They could have come out last year, those two players, and they didn't. They elected to come back, as the other players like Rivers did and so on the year before. And I think it's going to be great for the USC spirit, the USC team, and the challenge that USC has this year. Because I really think the Pac-10 is an underrated conference this year. A lot of people are saying that Pac-10 is down. But when you look at the numbers, there's an average of 14 starters per team, 14 starters per team coming back in the Pac-10 and seven starting quarterbacks. Of the 10 teams in the Pac-10, seven starting quarterbacks returning. So, you know, that's all plus. So I think it's going to be an exciting season, a very challenging season, and you know, we saw what the media thought as far as who they picked as far as the number one through ten, and now you've got to play it out because some coaches really look at that and players look at that, and uh, some players and coaches don't look at that. I always think one school is underrated. I think always Oregon State University is underrated by the media, and they always end up having a great year. And I think this year UCLA was overrated by the media because I thought the media this year was not really looking at the players, but maybe looking more at UCLA's coaching staff and rating their coaching staff more than they were the players. And remember, coaches can't be great coaches unless they have great players. But again, 30 uh, what was it? 38 out of 39 of the voting uh, party voted uh, USC number one, and someone voted for Cal number one. So you know, Cal's going to be an outstanding team. I have Cal number two in my poll.
1: Yeah, so that's a little closer to you know what you were saying to that, that person that picked Cal, uh, number one. Not sure who that was. I actually tried to uh, get in contact with Scott Wolf to see if he did that, um, but I, I didn't hear back. So we'll see. We'll try to find out who that was. Uh, you know, in UCLA, I think you're right about being overrated. They do have a really great staff that they put together. Uh, you know, Dwayne Walker and, and Coach Chow, and of course Rick Neuheisel. Uh, There was some talk on the message boards this week, Coach. I mean, I think the media picked Cal number five, and and some people don't think they're going to finish that high, including you and myself also. But, you know, Coach Chow's first year, even he had Carson Palmer at USC when he was at USC. And, you know, they went to 6-6. and It was a 6-6 and season. The offense offense wasn't all that great. Obviously, it started clicking towards the end of the year. Do you think it's going to take Coach Chow a little bit of time to get things going there, you know, given the fact that, you know, the quarterback situation had so many injuries there already.
2: Oh, yeah, I think it will be because they're all learning a new system, plus the quarterbacks that got most of the turns in the spring who he was relying on, they both got hurt, didn't have to, didn't have the opportunity of playing in the spring game. Now, Olsen has a chance of coming back. They said he's starting to work out, but, you know, if you can't go full speed, who knows how long he could go during the season, and maybe he'll re-injure his foot again. He had a broken bone in his foot, but, but uh, you know, it's a very complicated offense, and it's not just the quarterbacking and, and the offensive part of the UCLA program that people are concerned with. And people like myself, when you evaluate teams, but whenever you start moving as many players around as what they're doing—tight ends, and tackles, and centers, the guards—and defensive linemen, to offensive linemen. And when you start to move around these players, obviously they feel as a coaching staff, they don't have the depth number one, and they don't have the quality of players to have a backup, good player on one side of the ball or a backup, good tight end. You got to move them down inside to play tackle, and You know, when you play tight end all your life, and all of a sudden you're going to be a starting tackle it's a whole different story. You can look the part, you can be the look the part, but playing that part is a whole different uh, feeling. so I, I and, and the first three games UCLA have this year, you know they open with Tennessee on September the first. That's going to be a heck of a game in the, in the Rose Bowl. then they go to BYU, BYU last year finished 14th in the country, 11-2, and two, and they've been picked this year to win the Mountain West Conference, hope to go to a BCS Bowl. Then they've got Fresno State, who I call the giant killer, coming to Southern California to play UCLA in the, in the Rose Bowl. So, you know, their first three games are very, very difficult games, not to just talk about the Pac-10. So, you know, uh, it's going to be uh, interesting to watch SC. Not that or UCLA, not that SC has a, uh, a breeze as a schedule, but I think they have more returning players. They've got depth, and they've got people who know the offense and the defense. they got a returning staff that's been together. So it's a whole different situation.
1: Yeah, New Hysel definitely has his work cut out for them. And if, uh, you know, if they can f- finish with eight wins, I think it's going to be a pretty good season this year, especially with the uh, – how you know, many wins? If they can get eight, I think it's going to be a really good season for them. UCLA. Yeah, I mean, I don't think wow. they will. They, I'm saying they, they got to
2: pray for six.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, if they could get up to eight, I mean, that's a pretty, pretty damn good coaching job by the staff. But we're not here to talk about UCLA. We're here I to know talk that. About. But you know, they're in LA, and uh, obviously USC fans follow them closely. And I'm sure, as uh, last year when Trojan fans were rooting for Navy and schools like that to beat Notre Dame, if UCLA kind of starts off. In a whole zero oh, and three, zero oh, and four. They'll be rooting for them all the way to uh, keep that perfect record going. But uh, coach, just one—you know—we we talked about some of the problems last week that you had with Pac-10 Media Day. I don't think they really addressed many of those. Uh, they did give us umbrellas, which was I thought was an interesting gift uh, in sunny LA that we got an, a, a Rose Bowl umbrella. Um, and you know, it was another half-day kind of kind of deal. Not too much interesting was said. I mean, last year there was a few interesting comments. Um, you had Coach Harbaugh talking about USC, and that became kind of blew up all over the country. Uh, there wasn't too much, except that, you know, Coach Neuheisel said that it won't be if they catch up to USC. It, it, he said when, and he made that pretty clear. That was kind of the most controversial thing said all day. So, all in all, not really that exciting as far as, uh, a, a, you know, a whole bunch of quotes being generated.
2: No, you're right, and uh, a lot of it is because the coaches really aren't given a direction of how much time they should speak. They're given 15 minutes normally at, at most of the media days, uh, Big Ten, Southeastern Conference, and so on. A coach gets up and talks for 15 minutes just on it, himself on the program, and then then he takes questions from the audience. So a coach doesn't really have a, a lot of an opportunity to talk about his team. So it's 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 difficult to say anything that uh, might uh, spark a, a a question, but I thought Pete Carroll did a great job of speaking, and the, the dean now in the Pac-10, Mike Bellotti, I thought did a great job, and he is now the dean of all the coaches in the Pac-10. I thought that Rick Neuheisel is a real improvement to media day. He spoke well. Uh, Jeff Tedford did a great job of of talking and explaining his team by not telling you too much, but telling you that he feels they're going to have a good team. Dennis Erickson, uh, you know, as he says, he's just glad to be anywhere.
1: (laughs) That Uh, was pretty funny, yeah.
2: Yeah, that was pretty funny. I thought that uh, he did a good job up there. He brought his outstanding quarterback, uh, 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 Carpenter, and uh, Mike Riley. You know, uh, when you look at Mike Riley and you look at, Jeff Tedford, I don't know if you'd recognize him without a baseball cap on. Uh, I've said that they look so much different out of their baseball cap or their coaching gear when they're on the stage, and they almost look like brothers when you think about it. Did you notice that?
1: Yeah, definitely. Those guys, you know, with those caps on, they look like coaches. I think they just look like normal dudes walking around if they weren't, uh, if you didn't see them with their gear on there.
2: No, they look like history professors, okay? (laughs) Uh, I'm not, if, nothing that gets history for no fact, no okay if they put a no, tweed
1: jacket on with little patches in the elbows it'd be uh <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be pretty good but just for people that weren't there most people weren't there obviously a pack 10 media day uh our beat writer dan wikey who we're going to talk to in the next segment brought this up he was like coach hyde knows everybody it was like kind of social hour for you coach and, uh you've been around you know coach erickson would come up to you hey harvey how's it going and uh, you know, so many people and some of the coaches and media people know you. It was funny to see you there. You really are the Godfather. You were like the King of Media Day.
2: Well, I don't know about I don't know about that. It's just that I've been around a long time, and when you're in the coaching fraternity, it's funny. You know, it's it's You, 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 you know everybody on the way up. You know everybody on the way down. And everybody's been a part of somebody's staff. Either they have somebody on their staff that work for you, or you're. Coach against each other in high school, or you recommended a coach to him, or he recommended a GA to you to hire. And you, I do know a lot of the guys, and and I know them personally, and I and I cheer for them because I know what they go through. I know how difficult it is to to coach. They had a nice talk with Coach Carroll there. We had a lot of fun and a couple of laughs. I talked to Rick Neuheisel a long time, uh, and you know I just wish that you, as far as younger reporters and younger people who really respect these individuals, would have more time to meet them on a personal basis and talk to them. But with the media day being in such uh, a rush, I call it a rush, really two and a half hours of having the availability to talk to these guys, it's difficult to sit down and get to know them. I'm fortunate because I've known them before or, or known them, Uh, The reporters, when I was coaching, they were were calling me for interviews or whatever, and now I'm calling them and seeing them at different uh, social events like Media Day. But, you know, when the coach wasn't in that room and people saw him, he was taken away, almost ushered away into a private room where they radio, or really basically television was filming segments for them for the coming games that they're on national TV and so on. So I really would like to see guys like you, Ryan and others have the opportunity of sitting down with Dennis Erickson, having lunch. Like we did, I walked around a lot of the tables, talked to the Rose bowl people, Las Vegas bowl people, holiday bowl people that were there. Uh, uh, Emerald bowl was there. Poinsettia bowl was there. Do you realize there are seven bowl games that have that uh, have affiliation with the Pac-10, there could be seven teams from the Pac-10 going to bowl games if they all qualified and won six games.
1: Yeah, that's crazy. You know, I wish they would have better representation there. You brought this up last week, but if you didn't know, you have to go out and look for those guys. They were never like introduced, or no one ever made it public. Hey, here's the representative from blah 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 bowl. They just you never saw that there.
2: No, and and I really feel. Those people make the effort, like Gary from the uh, Emerald Bowl, to fly from San Francisco to be there, that he should be recognized because some team from the Pac-10 will play there. The Las Vegas Bowl had two representatives there. The Holiday Bowl had two representatives there. The Rose Bowl had three representatives there and that, that, that should have been represented. Two past presidents of the Tournament of Roses were there. Uh, you know, maybe some mention should have been thank you to the Rose Bowl for the umbrellas that they brought and gave out to everybody, you know, and, or something like that, just because there are so many volunteers who are in these organizations who work for these bowl games that millions of dollars are split up from these bowl games to the conferences where these teams uh, survive and athletic departments survive on this seventeen or eighteen or twenty million dollars that the Rose Bowl splits up with the Pac-10 and the Big Ten, so at least you know it would it would sort of maybe make these people feel good if you had an opportunity to be recognized. That's all I'm saying.
1: Yeah, I agree with you, Coach. And uh, we'll see. I mean, I, we'll see what happens with the whole Pac-10. Uh, you know how the as uh, it goes going forward. Uh, there's definitely some problems there. We'd love to see it addressed because they need to be. You know, as a conference, step it up so they can compete on a national level with, uh, you know, conferences like the SEC, the ACC, stuff like that. But one final question for you, coach. This is, uh, another user question. Again, if you have questions for us, you can email us podcast at USC is the email address. This one comes from Rich. It's not an easy one, coach, but he was, uh, he was talking about the practice intensity at USC. And we talk about this a lot during the season. Um, Carol's philosophy on practices, if, if you go there, the tempo is very fast. Uh, he likes to do a lot of ones versus ones, so there's a high intensity level at practices because he he feels that you should practice that hard, and it makes the games a little bit easier. But, you know, sometimes people get, when you're practicing one versus ones, I mean, the downside is sometimes people get hurt, and Rich was apparently talking to one of the family members of a player that was injured last year, unfortunately, at, at a tailgate or, or some function. And, uh, you know, the, the parent didn't seem to be, you know, the relative of the player didn't seem to be all that happy that they did practice so hard and the intensity level was high. know uh, you were a coach and you've seen the practices here. Do you What do you think of the overall, you know, how Coach Carroll practices with that high intensity and do you think it's worthwhile when you do risk injury, obviously, when you play like that?
2: Yes, I do. And uh, I, I used to practice that way. Uh, I think that you form bad habits when you practice at not the – intensity level or the speed level that you play at or you play the game at. I think you learn bad habits and you don't learn to do it at a pace of what you're going to see in the game. So I think it's a very positive thing that he does. And yes, you always do risk the chance of an injury, which, and believe me, a coach hates injuries when you lose a player, but a coach has a responsibility to the team, to the university to put the best product out there that he can put out there. And there's always risk in doing that. And uh, I think the overall success, the, the it's worth the gamble to take a chance that maybe somebody might get hurt during the process, but the entire team improves. And of course, if you're a parent and your son has been injured and so on, yes, you're going to be very disappointed and you're you're going to feel bad about it and so on. And say, well, maybe that wouldn't have happened, and maybe it wouldn't have happened, but maybe it would have happened, too, because I've had players get hurt going half-speed because they're not prepared for a hit, or they're not ready to practice. So, you know, sometimes you lose players when you're going to walk through drills, and sometimes you lose players when you're going full-speed. There isn't any real reason for it; it just happens.
1: Yeah, I agree with you, Coach, and, uh, and it's hard. I mean, I like to see that high-level intensity, but... Injuries, unfortunately, do happen. I i if I'm not mistaken, I think Coach Neuheisel talked about both of his quarterbacks went down in drills. There was no pads. I don't think there was any helmets. And they both got injured, like, right next to each other.
2: Yeah, two plays in a row. Yeah, right. He lost uh, Cowan, and then he lost Olsen. Two plays in a row. And, and he sort of made a comment, I think, to Olsen. Like, he thought it was just he got stepped on. So he made a comment to him about... But he's been stepped on before as a quarterback by a 300-pound lineman, and he made a comment at something. I forget what his exact wording was. thought he had just got stepped on, and he'd shake it off. But then when he saw him still limping around, and all of a sudden the trainers came over to him, and he saw it was serious, then uh, it was a whole new picture, a whole new story.
1: Yeah, and he's like, man, both of my quarterbacks in non-contact drills go down with uh, injuries. But anyway, Coach, that's uh, all the time we have for this segment. I just wanted to thank... Our sponsor over at Southern California Tickets, sctickets.com. And, Coach, of course, I wanted to thank you for sharing your insights with us, as always, every week on the podcast.
2: Well, buddy, I appreciate the opportunity being with you and all of our Trojan fans out there or football fans that listen to you or listen to our uh, broadcast. And also uh, pay attention to uscfootball.com.
1: Thanks, Coach. And uh, coming up after the break, we're going to talk to uscfootball.com writer Dan Wykey, So stay tuned.
0: The Pearistyle Podcast. We'll be back after this short break. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at one 800 888 7287 one 800 888 7287 That's one 800 or visit us on the web at sctickets.com SC Tickets, Concerts, Sports, and Theater We now return to the Parastyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham.
1: We are back with the Parastyle Podcast. This is our second segment, and in this segment, we're going to be talking to uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Wojcicki about the final days of summer workouts and what happened last week at Pac-10 Media Day. Dan, thanks for spending some time with us. Uh, I'd
3: I'm just thrilled to be promoted to second segment.
1: Second segment? Yes, you are promoted. And uh, as being part of the second segment, you are sponsored by the law offices of Bart Ring. Trojan fans, if you have any issues with the law, questions, concerns, you can give Bart Ring a call. He's been helping Trojan fans for the last 20 years. Give him a call at 818-587-9299. Or you can go to his website, bartringlaw.com. Com. All right, Dan, so last week. I was
3: just going to, well, real quick, Ryan. my reputation precedes me. that you have to get a lawyer to sponsor my segment? Is that, <laughs> is that, is that Gerard, how it's closed
1: down? Gerard didn't like when I would ask him if he needed any legal help. I knew you needed it, so I didn't ask you. But uh, you definitely <laughs> should give Bart a call. I think he'll give you a discount. Um, I may have a lawsuit against the Pac-10 due to back problems after lugging around 3,000 pages of media guides. There was a lot of media guides over there at Pac-10 Media Day. For uh, those of you who don't know, Pac-10 Media Day was last Thursday, Media from all over the Pac-10. Come down, check out and hear what the coaches have to say. You get a lot of chances to do interviews. There's a lot of live radio and TV spots that go on from there. And uh, they have a room pretty much full of media guides. So everyone gets a little Pac-10 bag that there's no way you could fit 10 media guides in, but they give it to you anyway. Um, and then you, you stuff all those essentially media- a
3: grocery bag, essentially a grocery bag. Yeah.
1: And really? uh, you put about 300 pounds of media guides in there. There's actually the <laughs> new law. I mean, the new law, the new NCAA rule. Uh, a lot of the media day, uh, the media guides used to be really big. And now there's an NCAA rule. that can mm-hmm. only be a certain size. I don't remember how many pages, but they they have got uh, a lot smaller. So that does help.
3: 208 pages on the USC media guide.
1: Yeah, so I'm sure the limit is somewhere in that range. But they used to be a lot bigger. I have some of my older ones here, and uh, they were, you know, 300-plus pages. Yeah, just epic. Epic works of literature. Right. So uh, if anyone has any questions, uh, if you want Dan or myself to answer them in the following podcast, give us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com. That's podcast at uscfootball.com, or you can come by the uscfootball.com message boards. Post a question there, and we'll be more than happy to answer it. But Dan, just want to get your thoughts on your first Pac-10 media day. I enjoyed
3: it. You know, it was uh, it was good to actually. You know, there's a lot of different personalities um, when it comes to the coaches in the Pac-10, and, and you get a little bit of a taste of it. You know, everybody's kind of on their best behavior for the most part on media day, where they, you know, they don't want to typically ruffle any feathers or say anything too loud unless you're Jim Harbaugh last year and you're talking about the best team ever. You know, a lot of time, you know, mostly it's it's pretty standard stuff. But, uh, you know, there were, there were some things said that I thought were interesting. You know, obviously, probably the most inflammatory comment of the day goes to UCLA head coach Rick Neuheisel, who said it's not if we catch USC, it's when we catch USC. I think that probably caught most people's ears more than anything else that was said. Um, I know Pete Carroll didn't seem to, to care all that much about it. He no, was, he, didn't. Uh, he didn't. He didn't. Yeah, he he really didn't care, uh, which is just fine. Uh, you know, I, I think it's probably better that he didn't. But uh, you know, it's it's an interesting you know situation right now. You got a couple coaches on the hot seat in the conference. Obviously, Tyrone Willingham and Mike Stoops being the two that probably are and and the biggest need of of trips to bowl games this year. And you know, the conference has a new coach at Washington State and Paul Wolf. And it's always interesting to hear you know what what a new guy says. I mean, he's a guy he played in the back then at Washington State, but. uh you know, he's been at Wash. He was at Eastern Washington, and it's kind of you know. I mean, that's a big difference going, <laughs> going from where he was to, to to Pullman, you know, and and to being in in the Pac-10 and having to deal with the media. And it was just interesting to hear what all these different guys had to say about where they thought their team was. You know, Jim Harbaugh said he's not a bulletin board guy anymore, <laughs> or never. He never thought he was, even though you know some of the stuff he said ended up. I'm sure on some bulletin boards. But it, it was uh, it was an interesting, uh, interesting, experience. A lot of linemen actually represented um, you know, more than I would have expected. I believe there were there were two offensive linemen, uh, maybe three even, of the players that were there. Um, talking represented teams. There's a lot of strong offensive lines in the conference this year. A lot of experienced guys returning. A lot of starters returning. And, and you know, it's just it's really it's really interesting to see where teams are at um, at this point, heading into fall camp and, and hearing what these coaches kind of kind of where they think their teams are at, you know. Pete Carroll uh, um, specifically was as excited about the upcoming season as anybody. Um, I don't have anything to judge us against, but, I mean, he said he was as excited as he was his first Pac-10 media day, and I think a lot of that just has to do with, with kind of the rollover and leadership that, that that's going to occur this year.
1: Yeah, a couple things there. Uh, you talked about uh, Coach Stoops over there at Arizona. We are actually going to – preview the usc arizona game just really more preview arizona coming up in the final segment so we'll talk to uh jason insurer of uh GoAZcats.com, so you can stay tuned for that in the next segment and with coach carroll i think you know one of the uh media people that asked him a question they kind of brought up the fact that he kind of left a little bit on the table uh, in the last couple years where they lost a couple games they certainly shouldn't have and lost the opportunities to go to you know yet another bcs championship game and i think some of that's you know set in and Carroll doesn't like to to dwell on negatives like that but i think he knows with the you know kind of a a new offense coming in not that the the scheme is different but you really have a you know a whole bunch of different people on the line you have a different starting quarterback uh you know it's kind of gonna be a different look to the offense just because of the leadership and the the big guys up front are going to be different i think he's excited about that and also about the, the excited about the opportunity to play such a big Uh, out-of-conference opponent early in the season. And they've been doing that every year, but this is going to be the first time it's like a number two, number three team in the country coming Mm -hmm. in there. So I think he he looks at this opportunity as a way to, you know, get this offense going, just, you know, kind of get the the ship righted again and get everything clicking. uh, And then also, you know, get a really good opportunity to go back to another BCS championship game.
3: Yeah. You know, those those losses that you mentioned, those those games that they kind of left on the table, you know, obviously losing to UCLA in 2006, um, a, a, a really tough loss. And then, you know, obviously last year against Stanford, an, another just really, you know, some would say almost an excusable loss. Um, and I think it's fair to bring those points up, you know, when you talk about it. You know, I mean, I don't think hardly anybody would argue with the amount of talent that USC's had the, the past, you know, four or five years. I mean, it's, it's pretty much unmatched to anybody else. I mean, you look at the NFL draft and – you know, you get ten players selected. Um, it seemed like every other pick in the first round was a different Trojan. I mean, it was it was something. It was pretty remarkable. And I mean, you think about all those guys being on the same team together. You know, they always have had that little hiccup um, the last two years. The thing that I think, you know, I think that that Coach Carroll's excited about is that with this new group and uh, and all these new leaders, I think I think he's feeling really confident about this team. I think, you know, he looks at like a guy like Mark Sanchez, who, you know has been in, in games. He I mean, knows what he can do as a player. But I think, you know, with Mark, it's more the intangibles. It's it's the leadership qualities he brings to the table. It, it's the um, the kind of that attitude that you want in your starting quarterback, a guy who's not afraid to grab a, grab a face mask, but at the same time he's not afraid to, you know, put his arm around someone else and, and pick him up. Uh, you know, I think he knows the right way to deal with people. I think, you know, you look at, look at the running back situation and, and, and you see six guys there who I think, you know, Coach Carroll Fields are all capable of playing, and then you look at wide receiver, of you know a position of weakness last year. That I mean, Ryan. I mean, we've been on of workouts. It could, it, could, it very well could be a position of strength on the offense this season. Really, I mean, they they look like they've at times they've looked like a really really good group. I mean, especially when you when you add some new guys like Bryce Butler, DJ, CJ Sh- DJ to the mix. I mean, we've been we've been talking about those guys. I feel like since I've gotten on campus about just how impressive they looked. Um, you know, another guy, uh, Jordan Cameron, is a guy who who, who uh, Tuesday's workout just just really shined, and you know, even had Mark Sanchez's speech just said a couple times. But but you know, it's I think it's that, and I also think, you know, he, one of the things that he that he said to me that I thought was most interesting was, you know, when they recruited Brian Cushing and Ray Malaga and Kevin Ellison, you know, and Kyle Moore. Like the core of this year, Feely Moala, the 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 core of the senior class, they recruited them to lead. It, it, you know, it wasn't always to be in the back seat, and now they're at the point where there isn't anybody ahead of them. You know, Keith Rivers isn't isn't there to, to patrol anything anymore at linebacker. You know, and, and to be the elder statesman. Now it's those other guys. You know, you don't have to. You, you don't have a guy like Lawrence Jackson, and or, and a guy like you know Cedric Ellis on the defensive line. You know, now it's Kyle Moore and Feely's turn. To, to, to be the guys that lead. And I think he's incredibly co- confident in their abilities to be kind of the flag carriers for this team. And, and I think that's an exciting thing really for USC fans. I mean, when you look at this team and you see all that senior leadership and you see all, all those guys who were handpicked, I guess, to lead this team this year, I guess that's my point is that, that you know, it was all part of a plan to get these guys into the position to lead and they've all accepted it and, you know, in and, and most cases, really embraced it.
1: Yeah, their time has come. I think Pete P- Carroll really likes this group. Uh, I don't know if anyone got to check out. We did a story on this class of 2005 and the remarkable numbers, and we talked about it last week on the podcast. So go back to uscfootball.com and check it out. But, yeah, this is a group that he brought in, and it was a very defensive, heavy group. Uh, 12 out of the 19 guys they signed in the class of 2005 were on defense. And, uh, yeah, a, I mean – So eight of those guys are pretty much listed as first teamers on the uh, official depth chart right now. So a lot of those leaders are kind of stepping into that role, even though they lost a bunch of players, seven guys in the first two rounds. There's still a lot of, uh, you know, older leadership on this team. And I think Pick Carroll's excited about that. But you talked about Mark Sanchez and his leadership abilities. And I think we got to see a lot of that uh, this summer and summer workouts. The final two summer workouts uh we've covered since this previous the last podcast last week on Wednesday uh there was a, a really good workout on Friday where the defense just kind of dominated and it you know it wasn't a great uh workout for the offense and then yesterday on Tuesday uh the offense really kind of bounced back and they they ran a lot of 11 on 11 and did well they mixed in the run and the pass and then they they had a lot of fun towards the end uh in the very final workout of the summer throwing the ball around, and, and a lot of the offensive players kind of played a little defense, and they went at it, and there was a lot of trash-talking, Damian Williams and Ronald Johnson mm-hmm. and stuff. Just wanted to get your thoughts on the uh, last couple of summer workouts.
3: Well, I mean, I think, you know, obviously from an offensive standpoint, there are polar opposites. You know, when we got out on the field, on, I'm sorry, on Friday, you know, we had you looked at two players being separated you know, by other players and coaches, guys getting getting into it with each other. I mean, it's all stuff. If you want to go on the site, it's on. It's in the war room at USCfootball.com. We talk about it in there. Um, you know, you have stuff like that. Not a huge deal, but I mean, it kind of set the tone. I thought for that day that it was just sort of a chippy day. It was just something where you know, I mean, you could tell. I think you know, one of the first routes that uh, Mark Sanchez threw in 11 on 11 was out to a, was out to one of his backs in the flat, and Kyle Moore had gotten beat. And, and he grabbed and he grabbed the guy, and he, and he kind of just held him by his shirt. And, you know, there other guys kind of laughing. And, and, and Mark, you, you could just tell he wasn't in the mood for it. And, and it was something, you know, and I asked him, I, you know, I asked him, is it a lack of focus? Is it a lack of concentration? You know, you know what is it? And he's like, yeah, a lot of it just has to do with the fact that this is, you know, this is week nine of their summer program. And, and these guys are itching to get on the field. You know, linebackers don't want to drop back into coverage. They want to hit. You know, I mean, receivers want to want to go against DBs, and, and, and you know, they want to make plays. Linemakers want to break tackles. You know what I mean? It's all of that stuff that I that I really think just kind of bubbled over into that workout on Friday. A lot of that I don't want to say, you know, but but just sort of restlessness maybe is a better word for it. I think that 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 kind of spawned some stuff, um, and you know, I mean, I was it's definitely. I think people
1: need to understand about these summer workouts are. Most of the time, like this summer, what they're doing is, you know, twice a week they were doing these conditioning workouts at 6.30 in the morning, and it's a full team workout. Uh, Other days they'll work out, they split up the squads just depending on everyone's class schedule, but these 6.30 a.m. workouts everyone can make, and it's, you know, mandatory with Coach Carlisle, you got to show up for these, or, or, you know, voluntary with like consequences or whatever, whatever they call it, but... That's that's when the full team gets I think, together. I think
3: I think it's mandatory, it's surrounded by winks. Yeah. I believe <laughs> is the, uh, the,
1: can it the really be? Wording. But this is where the whole team can get together, and it, and really the summer it's kind of the only time they've been able to gather as a team and throw. So they go through this, you know, forty-five minute to an hour or whatever conditioning workout where they just work to the bone, and I'm sure they'd rather just go back to bed, but because they need to try and keep sharp, they get out there on the field and throw the ball around they have full team stuff where the linemen get in there and you're right i mean if you're a defensive lineman and you're trying to play the run uh, you know out with no pads and no helmets i mean you're really not able to do all that much and i i, I think they do get a little restless and the, the players are kind of ready for the structure and the pads and the you know practice uniforms that you get when fall camp comes around but i i think they looked at these workouts as like kind of a necessary thing and a lot of them had a good time with it and fun and other guys were just kind of like you know it's fun but and they'll play around but they didn't really want to take part in as much and some people had to go to work or go to class uh so it didn't you know it it wasn't a time where you could get everybody there and not everyone was on the same page but i think mark sanchez kind of showed his leadership skills by keeping everyone together and and getting everyone to go out there and work and, and use that time that they had wisely enough, but also let everyone have fun and, and goof around, you know, because they're kids in college and they're working on their own. No coaches can be there. And I think they, uh, you know, tried to use that time to the best of their abilities.
3: Yeah. I mean, that was something actually, you know, in a story that I wrote earlier today, um, you know, talking to Mark Sanchez. I mean, that's something that, he, you know, he said to me was that, you know, really it's some workouts and there aren't any coaches, there aren't any real consequences to anything. So it was kind of his job to be sort of that, Middle ground between focus and fun because you know it's like it can't be so disciplined where guys aren't enjoying it because then you're not going to get the best out of everybody. At the same time, it can't be so loose where they're not doing the right things because then no one's going to get any better. So I think you know Mark had to kind of walked that line this summer, and I think he, and I know from from what we saw being out know, there for those throwing sessions, I think he did an admirable job. But I mean, I really think that that's a big part of the reason why. You know, Coach Harrell named him this going into the summer was because he knew he could handle this, and he knew he could be the guy who kind of said, you know, now's the time to laugh, we'll joke around. I mean, you know, I mean, yeah, Mark Mark would be a guy. You know, sometimes you know he might drop back into coverage really quick on on, on a route and and play a little corner, or you know, he might you might be snapping balls at sun and doing stuff like that and having a good time, you know. But at the same time you know he's also always making sure guys are are really working towards getting better and i think that's that's all a coach can really ask for from from their starting quarter
1: yeah we posted kind of uh, yeah we posted some video of that uh yes on tuesday you can check it out um on uscfootball.com they have uh Aaron Corp kind of lined up at corner at first pulled his shorts up almost to his nipples i think and actually made a really nice play on Jordan Cameron who's like uh 6-5 he's the transfer he was originally at BYU, went to JC, and now he's at USC. He's uh, eligible this Play year. Basketball. Played basketball. And he's a basketball, basketball player. BYU. And just, uh, he can jump. And uh, and Corp jumped yeah, with him and about, kind of defected yeah, that talk, ball. Let's
3: talk about Jordan Cameron, too. Uh, so I, 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 not to cut off your story. Uh, you just
1: did, <laughs> oh. but thanks. <laughs> well,
3: court made the play, right? Court made the play. That's what you Court did, made
1: Dad. the play. That, that wasn't the whole story, though, Dan. We were talking about Mark Sanchez doing the same thing. He kind of lined up there at cornerback. And they really had a lot of fun at the end of those workouts. Uh, I was putting my camera away because everything kind of ended. And and Mark called over, bring the camera, bring the camera, because he wanted to do some extra one-on-ones. I think it originally was, to, to segue into what you wanted to talk about, they wanted to show some uh, some of the skills of Jordan Cameron. And they were really going to do just from like the 10-yard line in, little one-on-one routes, um, and just you know see how everyone would line up. There wasn't any defenders on the field. There were just different offensive players that were going to try to play defense. But I think Mark wanted to show us how good Cameron can be jumping and skying for those balls that he can just, you know, just he gets it at the highest point point, just snatches it out of the air.
3: Yeah, I, th- I think he wanted Cameron to go against everybody else on, a, on the field. I think that was his plan. Was to get everybody else out there to, to try and stop Jordan Cameron <laughs> catching the fader out. because because honestly what it, what it really it looks like it, I mean he had one catch he had one catch on, on Tuesday where you know he's kind of had his body kind of contorted and he went up with one hand and he brought the ball into his other hand and kind of slapped and it was I mean it's it was a basketball play it was a rebound and it's you know he's really quick off his feet he kind of I don't want to say he's got great hang time or anything like that but you know he stays in the air. He grabs the ball at the highest point, and you know, I. She talked to Mark about this. I mean, there's but the feeling is he's got to have at least one red zone touchdown at least this year. He's he's going to be such a weapon inside, and and he's a guy I think as he gets more comfortable with the offense. I mean, you know, you can you can see that his size. You know, I don't want to say exploited, but I mean, you can use his size and other areas of the field as he gets more comfortable with the playbook. And that's only going to get better, you know, once, once fall camp rolls around.
1: Yeah. He, uh, he definitely can elevate. And uh, he just seems to have a knack for getting that ball at the highest point. And uh, a lot of times people have, they can jump and they have a little hard time uh, timing their jump, but he seems to be able to do that really well. So it'll be fun to watch him. Dan, one thing. He'll be a tough matchup. He'll yeah. be a tough matchup. Before we go, uh, there's one thing it might be interesting. Uh, veterans of uscfootball.com that were around last summer, we did a lot of video last summer as well as, as we did this summer. Uh, pretty much every play of Summer Workouts, I was down there filming it. And uh, one of the common themes was you got to see these receivers, and they looked really good. I mean, Osbury, Patrick Turner, I mean, everybody looked good. And, you know, we saw that all summer long. Everyone was making plays, and you could see the speed of Ronald Johnson and Pat, Patrick Turner was catching everything that came his way, and every you know, guys just down the list, everyone was doing really well. And then, obviously, when the season came around, it wasn't a position that it, it just didn't perform it to, as well as it could have. The production out of the wide receiver position just wasn't <laughs> there. Um, so, I, I would be curious for you to go back and look at some of those videos, and, and people that are on uscfootball.com, check them out as well. You can go to the archives and, and see all that. It's interesting because, you know, I saw last summer how well the receivers looked, how good they looked. And, you know, this summer they look pretty good again. And we're going to see, you know, once fall camp comes around, are they going to be able to keep that up? Can they, once the pads go on, can they get that separation? and Can they make those plays? I think one of the, the, the keys, uh, or you know, there's a couple, you know, interesting new people that you talked about. Trayvon Patterson has showed the ability to catch that deep ball. And I, I think that's something that the defense didn't really respect last year. A lot of defenses didn't. So I think if they can get him or Ronald Johnson to to get that deep ball, I think that might open up some space and let some of the other receivers who aren't even the deep threat guys, I think that might open them up a little bit more and, and give them a few more opportunities to make plays.
3: Yeah. I mean, the, when I look at the receivers, I mean, you know, obviously I, I've, I've heard about the problems from last year and some of the things that went on. I think a couple key differences this season – the addition of Damian Williams is going to pay off big time. I mean, he's, he's smooth on the field. He's confident. He runs really sharp routes, and he's got really good hands. And, and I mean, he's a guy I, we watched all summer. I, I can maybe think of one pass he dropped off the top of my head. Maybe.
1: Yeah, and it, like, anything and, that comes his yeah. way, he's usually getting.
3: Yeah, so, so I mean, and, and he's great with his feet along the sideline. He controls his body well. Um, he's going to be a big help. Um, you mentioned Trayvon Patterson. He's healthy. Um, we talked about him going on the field. I really like him in the slot working against big linebackers. Actually, you know, Trayvon's not a very big guy, but he's fast. And I mean, I could see him and Rojo both in the slot doing some damage underneath, getting the ball, maybe with that, that four four yard cushion between them and a linebacker where they maybe make, make a quick, a quick move. And all of a sudden, you know, that short little underneath route is a 25-yard gain. I think that's going to be something you're going to see a lot with those two guys in the slot. Obviously, you know, Patrick Turner a guy who has to step up and have to have a season. He's got to live up to that potential that, you know, he came into college with, you know, one of the top top recruited, top-ranked players in the country.
1: I believe top two, maybe? Was he like the yeah.
3: number two-rated player?
1: I he think. was up there. He was top five. He might have been number three or something, but definitely the highest-rated I mean, receiver. And yeah, just and, five-star and, guy all and the
3: way no, does, no disrespect intended to Patrick Turner,
1: but but he hasn't produced to that
3: level yet. And, and I think he knows that. I think he'd admit it. And, and I, I think, you know, people who followed the team, you know, definitely know that. And and he's a guy who has to step up, and he has to be that kind of veteran force. But the, the thing that I like a lot about these receivers is I feel like they really complement each other well. You've got that kind of, you know, Damian Lin is a guy who will go over the middle, and he'll do just a little bit of everything. You've got the guy who's got swagger in Vidal Hazelton. I mean, more swagger than probably anybody actually needs. <laughs> you know, more than enough swagger. Swagger Patrick to Turner, spare. He
1: could, yeah. What? He's got swagger to spare.
3: Yes, he does. Um, and then you got Patrick Turner, who, you know, is, runs really, really sharp routes. And if he could be that guy, too, with great size, who, who can be kind of that possession guy. Um, then you've got, you know, you mentioned Trayvon and, and Rojo are your burners. And then you add a guy like Bryce Butler in the mix. He's got these 3 fish long arms, really soft hands, makes made, just made some great catches throughout throughout camp, um, and and also runs unbelievable routes for a freshman. And then you add a, a guy with the versatility of, you know, DJ DJ Shoemate. It's, it's a group that I think they all kind of – Mesh well together. Those are the guys that I see. I mean, and there are other guys we're not even talking about in that group. You know, Brandon Carswell is a guy that you know who could break out. um There's really, there's a lot of there's a lot of talent there. There um, is. They're now, gonna have to find the
1: right rotation, the right mix, and see who gets on the field. And uh should be interesting. But we'll be covering all of that in fall camp players report on August fifth. First practice starts August sixth. There'll be two a days for the first four days where they split up the veterans and uh, the newcomers, and we'll be down there covering all that. You can read all of our reports on uscfootball.com. But, Dan, that's all the time we have for this segment. Thank you very much for uh, joining us. My pleasure. Stay tuned for our final segment. We're going to talk to Jason Shear from GoAZCats.com and preview the Arizona Wildcats.
0: Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Parastyle Podcast.
1: Trojan fans have legal problems or questions only an attorney can answer? Contact the law offices of Bart Ring. Bart is a proud Trojan alum who has been taking care of the legal needs of the USC family, its alumni and fans for over 20 years. Like the Trojans under Pete Carroll, Bart and his team achieve successful results for their clients by preparation and outworking the opposition. Call Bart at 818 818- 587 or go to BartRinglaw.com to see if he can help you with your legal issues. Don't forget to mention the Peristyle Podcast for a free consultation.
0: Hey USC Trojan fans, to get into the huddle of your Southern Cal Trojans, log on to USCfootball.com today for all the latest in Trojan football, basketball, and recruiting news. Ryan Abraham will give you an in depth analysis, recruiting updates, and will answer your questions every day on the message board. So, for all the latest in team and recruiting news on your USC Trojans, check out USCFootball.com, the officially licensed Southern Cal site of the Rivals.com networks. We now return to the Peristyle podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham.
1: All right. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. It's our third and final segment, and we have a special guest in this segment to talk about the Arizona Wildcats. We have Jason Cheer from GoAzCats.com. He's part of the Rivals.com network. Jason, thanks very much for joining us today.
4: Oh, thanks for having me.
1: All right. So uh, I just want to talk about the Wildcats. I was down at the Pac 10 Media Day on Thursday, and uh, Coach Stoops was there. He brought uh, Wooly to Atama, one of the most exciting. Players in the Pac-10, if not the country. Uh, it looks like Tuatama has a really good shot at becoming the uh, career passing leader in Arizona history this year. What are the expectations of uh, this senior quarterback?
3: I think the, the
4: expectations are, are quite big for him. Um, he's had It's been pretty tumultuous with him. One one game he'll be very good, and the next game he'll be the, uh, the subject of the eye of, of Arizona fans. With the uh, with the new offense, Sonny Dykes is running. He showed, showed some potential last season at a Probably the best season he's had since coming here. So senior quarterback leading a pretty experienced offense and one that's explosive, and yeah, the expectations are quite
1: high. All right. Uh, last year the team finished five and seven. Uh, this year, a lot of people are kind of pick picking them in the middle of the pack. Uh, Phil still, I think, had them up at number five, kind of just on that outer, you know, the outer edge of what some of the top teams like the USC's, Oregon's, Arizona State's. Um, what do you think? What can Arizona do to, to jump into that? Uh, you know, upper echelon of the Pac-10 this year. Do they have a shot at doing that?
4: Uh, well, what's good is for the first time in a, in a long time, the schedule is pretty easy to open up with. So right away, they should. I mean, Idaho, Toledo, and New Mexico—they they should have three wins. And the biggest problem with them is the early in the season, they've had games like at LSU where they get absolutely blown out, and their confidence is shattered for the rest of the season. But Stoops tends to turn it around towards the end of the season and you know, once he starts winning a little bit, the team gets confidence and, and does better. So I think in order to, to finish higher up in the conference, those first three games are pretty pivotal. If they're able to come out of their three and with a, a high confidence level, they they should be in pretty good shape and they, they could have a chance to surprise a lot of people.
1: Yeah, I guess you get a little momentum early in the season. Of of all the Pac Ten schools, most every I mean most every Pac Ten school has at least one huge marquee out of conference matchup on the schedule this year. They've got some big names coming to Pac Ten stadiums and some away games I mean from Penn State to Ohio State to Georgia. Um, so yeah so I guess it's a good chance for the Wildcats to kind of get some momentum and then they take on they have to play in uh, Pasadena at UCLA. Um, on offense a lot of starters returning 10 returning starters and obviously to Atama is a great 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 player. Uh, what do you think this what they did in the spring on offense did and do you think they can carry that momentum into the season?
4: Oh, in spring they worked pretty good. I think it's interesting because the the biggest asset to the offense may probably didn't even participate in the spring. on Matt Scott. He's an incoming freshman quarterback. He's he's going to get some playing time. And then might institute something um, kind of like what Florida did uh, back when Tebow was a little younger, where you know they put in they put in Matt Scott for for a running package or two, and then they have Tui Tama and they kind of mix it up. So the biggest asset to the offense might not even be there. But uh, in spring, I mean, you can just tell they going to give tight end Rob Gronkowski a lot more touches. They're hoping to get a more consistent running game. Uh, they still, you know, it's played Arizona for years. They've had absolutely no running game.
1: And, you know, they might not
4: get one with this type of offense, but uh, in terms, they have Mike Thomas returning. The, the receivers are a year older. So the offense, is, it, there's no reason why it shouldn't improve.
1: All right. And then on defense, only three returning starters, but I think that's a little uh, misleading. There is a lot of experience coming back uh, on defense. And I think uh, Arizona's only lost, I think they only lost 17 total scholarship players, like the fewest in the Pac-10. So there is some experience there on defense, even though you know eight of the starters are gone.
3: Uh, yeah,
4: defense, there, there is some experience. I think the, the biggest concern is who they lost. They lost Antoine Cason and Will Ray Fontenot. So they're, they're going to have to come in with two cornerbacks, but even the, the two guys playing corner, um, one's going to be J.C. He'll get some playing time in Marquis Humley. Devin Ross has played there quite a bit. He's, he's probably familiar with USC fans and, and just around the pack in general. And incoming freshman, Robert Golden, and then at linebacker. They have, you know, Ronnie Palmer, he has got plenty of experience. And defensive line, they, they have the young guys. But a lot of a lot of complaints with the Arizona fans is a lot of them felt the veterans actually weren't doing their job. So no one, you know, there, there's some upset people with the experience level, but a lot of them are excited because the young guys, when they got playing time last season, showed a really good motor and actually probably played the best on the entire
1: defense. Yeah, so sometimes you can uh, have a little bit of addition by subtraction. I'll put the case on is uh... – was a complete stud and uh, he's going to I think he's going to have a really good NFL career but some of the other guys yeah I mean sometimes a returning starter isn't always good if if the player wasn't that good you get a younger guy some experience and they can uh, make some big you know make become a playmaker on the defense
4: correct and I mean you know you have a guy like Lewis Holmes where every season the expectations were high and you know you had to play him because of those expectations and at the end of the season all you're talking about is how he didn't meet them you know, that's, that's going to be the case of addition by subtraction. I mean, no one's really upset. You're going to have Ricky Elmore step in at defensive end. Uh, you're going to get a high uh, to Halamaka coming in. He's a great linebacker slash defensive end. And you're going to have the young guys who are just ready to play. They've been waiting for their time, and, and this is it.
1: All right. Well, October uh, 25th at Arizona in Tucson, USC comes to town. Uh, last year, I don't know if Trojan fans remember, uh, Arizona was actually leading that game going into the fourth quarter. It was a very close contest. Uh, you know, U-, U of A has had some trouble against USC in the past. It's not really a game that you're going to look forward to with, you know, it's the eighth or ninth game on the schedule. But, it was, you know, coming home, getting a little momentum, knowing that they played the Trojans straight up for most of that game last year, do you think that gives the uh, Wildcats a little confidence?
4: Uh, yeah, I mean, they, they had a very good game against the Trojans last year, and they should get a little more confidence. And, you know, that, I'm sure the coaches will use that. It seems that Arizona is the biggest problem with them is that they, they just, for some reason, haven't learned how to win. They haven't learned how to make those plays in the fourth quarter. And if that team has confidence and they're doing well, you know, throughout the season going into the USC game, there's a good chance that they might have that confidence. And, you know, anything can happen, especially at, at Arizona Stadium, game like that It usually fills up, and the, the atmosphere is usually pretty fun. So I suppose anything can happen, but obviously USC is, is still the pretty big favorite.
1: All right, then uh, one last one. Uh, it's kind of like a contract year for Mike Stoops. You got to see if he uh, comes out and does well. What are your predictions for how they're going to finish? Uh, you know, in the Pac-10, uh, knowing that Stoops pretty much is going to be playing for his job this year.
4: Uh, well, it's, it's always tough to predict Arizona, but I, I, personally can't see any way they they don't make a bowl game. Um, you know, obviously there's injuries and stuff like that, but with the opening three games being how they are, and uh, the Pac-10, in my opinion, is a little down this season. I think Arizona's got a good shot to make a bowl game, and if they make a bowl game, it's just fine. You know, Arizona fans and, and the alumni and the administration get what they want, and that's just for Arizona, you know, for starters, just to be back on somewhat of a national scale and making it to bowl games.
1: All right. Well, Jason Shearer, check out his work on goazcats.com. Thanks very much for your time today. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening to another week of the Peristyle Podcast. We'll be back next week talking Trojan football, so stay tuned.
0: to the Parastyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can now download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player. Just search for Parastyle Podcast the next time you log into iTunes.